Mediterranean world was under the control of the massive Roman army. The, army, the, the armor worn by this army was crucial for their survival. And as you look at Ephesians chapter 6, Paul draws an analogy between the pieces of armor worn by the Roman infantry and the spiritual armor that God provides every believer in order to overcome demonic activity. So I want us to look at Ephesians 6, 14 through 17, because it talks about the armor of God. And what I'm going to do, as I shared with you before, we're going to do, we're going to take and look at, look, have a, take a closer look at each piece of God's armor. So today we're going to be looking at the belt of truth. But first let's look at Ephesians uh, 6, 14 through 17. Paul said, stand firm then with, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your hand fitted and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take hold, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is in the word of God. This part, I'm going to reverse the message because this part I'm giving you comes toward the end. But I don't know how many of you feel, but I'm still out of sorts. I know, Ron, you say, doesn't pass it for you. Pass it for you. I don't feel right. And I have not felt right since last Sunday. I feel that sometimes my concentration will come and go, and normally that's not, that, that, that's unusual for me. Uh, I find myself some trying to focus and concentrate, and for better or for worse, normally I don't have these kinds of problems. But I find myself sometimes in these moments of indecision, in these moments where I don't feel I'm, like I'm in a rhythm. And I don't know how you feel about that, but we're going to be talking about that a little bit later more, that sometimes when, when, or I should say more often than not, when God blesses, and when he blesses a congregation, when the Spirit of God is moving in that congregation, and we see manifestations of the Spirit just overwhelming us, I know from past experience that the enemy is going to try to come in and he's going to try to disrupt. It could be the church. It could be you personally or whatever. That's what the enemy does. That's what the enemy will try to do. And so there's that constant battle between righteousness and the devil. Lies and truth. Lies and truth. Because the devil's aim is to discourage us, to drive us further and further away from God. That's what he does. And it's interesting that in prayer, we talked a little bit about that. We kind of touched on it, how some have felt, you know, maybe disconnected, if I can use that word. Uh, and that is because the evil one will get in there and will try to discourage us. You know, whatever you felt, whatever you experienced, he's out there saying it really didn't happen, the devil. It really didn't happen. 
this is all just made up of whatever it is. See what I'm saying? I don't know if you felt the same way, but, but I think we probably need to pray for each other, you know, as we, as we continue, because he is really working overtime. I really believe that. Now, the first, my first thought is the belt of truth. From, again, from uh, uh, Ephesians 6, 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth Place. A special belt was used by the Roman soldier to keep his tunic really free so he could move about. It also would hang his sword. In the modern, for the modern soldier, uh, this also applies. That there's that harness belt, which includes pouches, you know, for extra ammo, canteen, a radio. Uh, medical supplies and personal items. That's all part of of their of their uh, armor. And for the Christian, Paul calls this the belt of truth. So this is our spiritual armor. The first part is that belt of truth. And boy, do we need to really hear hear this. Especially what's happening today in our world to take on that belt of truth. When you feel that you're being harassed by Satan, harassed by demonic warfare, whatever it is, you need to take on that belt of truth and wrap it around yourself in order to overcome those fire arrows of the devil because he's always there and he's always working. He'll work on your weaknesses. He'll work on all sorts of nasty things he tries to do. And he does it, but he disguises it as well. How many of you are thinking, ah, that's all hocus pocus. That's, this is not true. It is so, 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 so true. So, what I want to do is I want us to I want us to look again at verse 14. And we're we're only going to look at the first part because we're not going to talk about the the breastplate of of truth at this point. We're just going to talk about the belt of truth. Are you with me? Okay, how are we doing with this? I'm going to pull this up a little bit. I feel like I'm I'm walking with, what do you call it, when you go into into into, uh, the water? I feel like I'm walking with fins on. I just... I just don't feel, I don't feel really connected today, so, so be praying for me. Okay, where are we? All right, I'm cool over here. Okay, verse 14, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. This truth is crucial if we're to stand firm against the devil's lies. How many of you are TV watchers? All right. How many of you remember, for some of you, this even before you were born probably, how many of you remember the uh, TV series MASH? MASH. All right. I'll give you some really, they say, come on, Pastor, get with it. Well, I must, I must admit, we love that series. I remember back in the day when it was real, when they were, you know, when it was actually happening with that, it wasn't reruns, and we got just caught up in MASH. And even to this day, we still watch them. I just love the writing, etc. Okay, we all remember Radar, right? Radar, I just love that character. I used to love 
This is just going down another path. But I used to love the early part of the series of MASH when you had Colonel Blake was on there. I loved, I realized it was a little bit slender, a little bit racy or whatever, off color. But you somebody had to get through some of these things. But Radar was one of my guys. You know, what about, we all know about Radar. When all of a sudden he'd say, choppers are coming, right? They're bringing in the wounded. How did Radar know this? You know, or, or some of those episodes where, where Colonel Blake is talking and who finishes his sentence? Radar. You know, it seemed like Radar had this great discernment. The Bible discerns thoughts and intentions of our heart. Hear what I'm saying? The intentions of our hearts. The Bible shows us how to conform to God's character. The Bible provides supernatural truths. The Bible leads us into repentance. The Bible corrects us and offers guidelines for us to help us to make the right decisions. That's what the Bible does for us. Now, there are no shortcuts, and all of these things that the Bible offers us are all guaranteed. Why are they guaranteed? Because the Word is inspired by God. So as we read the Word of God, we know that it is truth because it's been inspired by God himself, and God is not a liar. God is truth. So when we talk about lie, we talk about truth. It's, what a difference, right? We have the liar, Satan, and God, the truth. They are always battling, and they battle for our souls, or the Satan does, because he wants to move us away again from God's truth. So, how do we arm ourselves? I'm going to number two. How do we arm ourselves with this belt of truth? Let's look at John 8, 31 and 32. Love these two verses. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Faith in Christ makes one a child of God. However, abiding in the teachings of the word of God, abiding into all those teachings and living them out makes one a true disciple of Christ. It's not enough for people to say, well, I've been saved. I know Jesus. Then my next question is, are you in the word? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you need to be in the word. If you're not in the word, you're not really one of my disciples because you don't know me. It make any sense? And there are no, there are no shortcuts here. Now, sometimes, you know, people say, oh, gee, being a Christian, that means, oh, work. You know, I got to work. Yes, you do. You got to work at it. You have to work at it. That means that you, me, we must apply the word. We need to pray. We need to, we need to study. We must do that. If we don't, 
they're not going to grow. How can you be a disciple of Christ? You know, it's like reading a book, right? Read a history book. You want to know, we say you want to know something about George Washington. Well, how are you going to know unless you read about George Washington? You know, we have God. God, God's in our hearts. We love the Lord. But if we're not in his word, how can we really understand the depth of his love? Now, this is so important because I see far too many Christians, not you, you guys are the good guys in, the, in that sense, but far too many Christians rely on other Christians. They rely on, you tell me what the word says. You tell me what the word says. You tell me what the word says. God said, no, you need to get in it yourself. Because the Bible is so wonderful because we could read a passage, I could read a passage, and my brother Chris could read that same passage, and we can talk about it and say, hey, would you get out of this? We might get two different things. Because God has something unique for each and every one of us. That's why it is so, so important for us to be in the Word of God and to challenge each other. If you have a brother and sister in Christ and they're not in the Word of God, then you challenge them. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The more truth we know and apply helps us navigate through the waters, those landmines, the same places in our lives. So, what I'm saying is this. Being a Christian should be a way... Somebody's shooting at us. Being a Christian is a way of life. It's a way of life. Being in the Word of God and studying the Word is a way of life. We live it. We are called to live it each and every day. No matter what, we all have different jobs, different responsibilities, but one thing should be the same, and that is the Word of God and studying it for ourselves. Go to Bible studies. You know, if you have questions, uh, talk to somebody that knows a lot about the Bible, and they'll help you out. Go to a pastor, go to a, uh, a board member or somebody that you know is really in the Lord, and there isn't one question that is stupid when it comes to the Bible. There's not one that is stupid or embarrassing because we're all at different places. But the point is we need to be engaged, be engaged in the word of God. Absolutely crucial and absolutely important. Isn't, that, isn't this wonderful? Separating Satan's lie from truth. That's number three. Separating Satan's lie from truth. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. If you forgive anyone... I also forgive him. And what have I forgotten, forgiven? If there was nothing to forgive, I have forgotten in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are unaware of his schemes. I have forgiven in the sight of Christ. Some Christians confess their sins. But don't believe God will forgive and forget. That's Satan's lie. He wants us to believe that we are no longer forgiven. You're not forgiven. How can God forgive what you've done? How many times have we all heard that one? That was a, 
that sin, God will never forgive me for this. I've heard so many people through the years say, oh, God, I just can't get over the fact that I've done this horrible thing and God will never forgive me because it's so bad. You've got to be kidding me. God forgives. Stop and think about this. Really, stop and think about this. God knows, the Bible says, God knows the thoughts of man. God knows the thoughts of woman. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking right now. You cannot, you cannot hide your thoughts from God. Period. It's there. He knows it. And so therefore, therefore, since God knows our thoughts, our every thought, how does that make you feel? Man, God knows all these crazy thoughts in my head. God knows that. He knows if I listen to that pastor and he's so flat boring, I'm thinking about getting out of here or I'm thinking about the bear game. I'm thinking about, hey, that rookie quarterback, he's pretty doggone good. Your minds are going, they're flying everywhere. And yet God still loves us. That's what I love about, about the faith. God, in spite of ourselves, God still loves us. He knows our thoughts, so we cannot hide those things from him. So why not confess them? And understand the Bible says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. That's every sin that you've ever committed. If you confess with your heart, Jesus will forgive you. He'll wipe that slate clean. We tend to want to bring back that ugly sin. That's what Satan wants. But God says, oh, no, no, no. What sin? You're clean. You're forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? That is so, that is the counter to Satan's lies. That, so how do, we, how do we discern, really? How do we discern uh, Satan's lying schemes with God's truth? How does that look in real time? How do we do that? Well, here's my thought. Am I on TV? I'm not? Oh. Oh. I thought, well, that's, that changes things, John. I thought I was. Uh, anyway, where was I? You have to take, for me, you take... The Word of God, the truth, the Bible. And you lay it next to that what you are trying to determine what is true. That make any sense to you with me? Okay, okay, what is really true? Okay, this is something here that you're going through. You say, you know what? I don't really know if this is really true or not, so I need to have a standard of measure. I'm gonna go to the word. So you go to the Word, and then you compare. You just put them together. Okay, I'm giving an example of this. When I was years ago, when I was an administrator of a church, we had a, a board, and one of the board members, now I'm not going to get into all the details, but, you know, I don't want to gossip, but, but you need to hear most of the story. Anyway, so one of the leaders of the church... He was, uh, his wife had passed away years ago, 
And he started to date a woman in the church. And that's fine. She, well, she was divorced, trying to find her way. And here's where things got really dicey. So the woman that he was trying to date, her sister, her sister's husband was also on the board. So we got a dynamic going on here. And then it happened. I get a phone call from the pastor. He says, Denny, can't believe this. He said, they were together all night in his house. Now, don't, you, if you think you're getting anything out of me, you're really not. But it sounds bad, doesn't it? I said, oh, man, that's not good. No, it's not good. So I said, well, what are you guys going to do about it? Tell me he and then his, that, that board member, the other, the other guy. So they were going to get together, and I started looking through Matthew 18 when it talks about if a brother has sinned, you're to go to that brother or sister and confront them of their sin, etc. You know the one I'm talking about. And then bring, you know, bring another brother or sister with you, etc. Because the goal is to reach reconciliation with that person and help that person understand the error of their way. Well, so the, the, the senior pastor and the couple and the husband of the wife of the one, the, the one, brother-in-law, that's good. Thanks, Jan. That makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? It cleans it up a lot. Brother-in-law. So they were to powwow. And uh, the pastor said, I'll let you know, to me, I'll let you know how this is going to, how it turns out. It's cool. That's fine. And then I get a call, I don't know, my timeline, a little bit later, and he said, Denny, he says, you're not going to believe this. Now, that you think pastors don't gossip? Well, sometimes he did. I said, I said, what's up? And he said, well, he said, we start talking to, to uh, this gentleman uh, about what was going on. He said, then things started getting get a little bit heated. He said, because he insisted, he said, absolutely, it was totally innocent. He said, that was one of our first dates. And he said, we start talking through the night about our likes, dislikes, etc. He said, nothing, nothing happened. And it was out of that conversation where I guess things got a little bit heated between the guy and his girlfriend's brother-in-law. Finally, it reached a point where the guy... Are you following me? I'm getting, I'm getting so stinking confused my own story. So the guy that was dating the gal, he said, let's take this outside. And, he, and, and the pastor, he said, he was so upset. He said, let's take this outside and settle it right now. I know. Yeah, huh? You know what I'm saying? 
No, I'm over talking about like my age. You're kidding me? You couldn't throw a... Well, anyway, I said, then what happened? Now I'm into the story because I'm human. I said, so what happened? What happened next? Did they go outside? He said, Pastor said, well, no, they didn't go outside. I tried to defuse the situation or whatever, but we left in very, very, very concerned about the situation. So, so the guy leaves, and the brother-in-law says, well, we have to, we're going to have to correct him. We're, we're going to have to censor him. He's a leader of the church, and he's done some things that are questionable. Though, even though he didn't, didn't do anything, it doesn't look good. I agree with that. That's something you just don't do. They didn't use their heads. So uh, here's how this turned out. Then they wanted, I, then they wanted to uh, censor him, and my feelings, God laid upon me, no, let's work through this. Let's see what the Word has to say. We have, a, we have some, some conflicting situations here. Let's go to the Word and see how God wants us to handle this situation. So I did. And I looked up reconciliation, what have you. And uh, I talked to the pastor. I said, has this man, well, the guy's name was Keith. I guess I can say that. I'm getting myself, okay. And he apologized for his actions. He apologized to the other, other man for his actions. And how he came across, he said, I realized what we did was wrong, but honestly, I felt so offended because we didn't do anything. And I felt you guys were trying to say something or make, or, that, or, or, or make us feel like we were whatever. We're, we're honest. He's, we worry, but I understand as a leader that this is the wrong thing to do. Both of them, he said that. And then I had conversation with the pastor again about this. He said, we still need to, you know, we need, he needs to be censored. I said, no. I said, we need to read and look at the word says about this. The Bible talks about reconciliation. I said, he did everything right. He even came to me and apologized. I said, so he's taken all the steps according to the word of God. So we need to follow what? We need not to follow our own desires, our own anger, but what does the word say about this? And so I said, we need to follow what the word says, but then we need to monitor the situation, see if he's truthful, see if he's really honest about about what he just asked for forgiveness for. That's what should we do. We measure thing, things, uh, things through the word of God. You have questionable things in your life you're not sure about or whatever. Measure, you know, against the word of God. That's really the only, that's truth. That's the belt, you know, belt of truth that Paul was talking about. All right. Wasn't that one exciting part? That was exciting, wasn't it? Story. See, you guys, somebody disappointed. I didn't give you any details because there wasn't any details. That was it. That was the story. But I think, really, friends, honestly, that is so important that we uh, that we just that's how we weigh the truth. And I have one more part, one more point I want to make, and that's seek to live a life of truth. And we really need to listen to this. Third John one three and four. It gave me great joy to have brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 
If we want to win the battle against Satan's demonic forces, we must be bold, we must be patient, we must be steadfast in spiritual truth. This brings God great joy. Think about it. When we do right, when we seek the truth, this brings God joy. Do you want to bring God great joy? I do. You know, it's wonderful to think that we, God has, God created everything, but he loves us so much that when we do right, this, this brings him joy. This brings him joy. Now, one of my concerns, I think it should be all of our concerns here today, is this. We know, we know what's going on in Afghanistan, but you also know that there's over 200 missionaries there. Have you heard about that? 200 plus missionaries are there. Now, we have to be honest. You, you know, if you don't believe that there's evil, look over there. What's going on? Can anybody tell me that there isn't a devil when you see somebody would take in, in a, in a device and explode it amongst humanity? Killing people, just just killing them outright. That is sick. It's evil. There's evil going on over there. We're not perfect, but that stuff is flat out evil. And you have missionaries over there that if they're caught, and they're Christian missionaries, if they're caught and if they do not denounce Christ, they're dead. They'll take their heads off just like that. How can they endure? How do we endure? How do other missionaries endure such persecution, such pain, potential death, brutality, isolation? And this is a dramatic story of of a group of missionaries in a place right now that is so horrible. But others around the world, missionaries and other people are going through their hard times. So how are these missionaries, how are they getting through all of this? How do we get through all of this? We depend on God. We seek His comfort and his truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. Trusting that, trusting in God no matter what. It's trusting God no matter what you are going through. Whatever hard times you are going through, it's trusting God no matter what. It's trusting when you feel like you don't want to trust, but saying, I'm going to trust God. It's trusting God when you're down. It's trusting God when you're frustrated, no matter what. It's trusting God. I'm going to finish with, with Psalm 84. And in Psalm 84, David was the author. And David was writing this psalm during a time when Jerusalem was really going through some hard hard times with other nations and people were frustrated people were discouraged and 
they, and those that were not in Jerusalem, they were trying to journey back to the city, to Zion, to worship their God. But in the process of getting back to Jerusalem, they had to go through a host of problems in their journey. And Paul, I mean, uh, David really penned this psalm for those giving them encouragement. So I want to read for you only uh, verses 5 through 7 of Psalm 84. David said, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. And they pass through the valley of, now we say Baca. It's really in, in the Hebrew, it's, it's pronounced Baca. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover its, it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. The, the Hebrew word Baca is translated to mean to weep. To weep. So as they traveled, as they traveled to ancient Jerusalem, they passed through the valley of Baca. Now, Baca is not presently known. So some scholars say, well, Baca is somewhere, I'm getting feedback. Baca is somewhere, somewhere around Jerusalem. But it is a symbolic low point of pilgrims. Of pilgrims who are on their way, passing through the valleys of life to get to meet God. So David was trying to encourage them. And I believe he's trying to encourage us today as we walk through our valleys, as we walk through our struggles, struggles, as we walk through all the pain that we might feel, all the frustrations that we might have, as we walk, as we walk, we're never alone. We're never alone. That Jesus is there. No matter your valley, Jesus is there for you in your situation. Amen? He's there, and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But growing in Jesus Christ often is accompanied by periods of resisting the devil's schemes. I don't think I've ever, in all my years of being a, a pastor or being a, a follower of Christ, when I've gone and I've experienced the mighty works of the Holy Spirit working in my life and other people, that I don't come out of that I rejoice and feel so wonderful, but I also know what's coming next. I know that I'm going to get hammered in some way, shape, or form. It is what it is, what it is, what it is. But that's what makes us stronger in Him. That's what makes us stronger when we start going through those deserts, when we know that Satan is there, he's trying to discourage us when we keep focused on the truth then God will bless us and make us stronger, stronger in Him. I close with this.
with 3 John. I want to look at verse 4 again. I have no greater joy, no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. My friends here today, this is our moment of truth. As we journey through this life filled with Satan's deceptions, manipulations, and temptations, the Bible reminds us to arm ourselves by putting, by putting on the belt of truth, knowing the truth, and living out that truth leads to being conformed in the image of Christ. Hear what I'm saying? As we close, we are not alone. We are not alone in, our, in this fight with the devil. That God is with us every step of the way. And knowing the truth and living out that truth leads to being conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. And when we seek to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, Satan's going to be working that much harder to discourage you, to discourage me. And he does it by trying to plant doubt in our lives, plant controversy in our lives, whatever it is. That's what he does best. But the good news is this. You know, we read the last chapter of the Bible. We win. The good news is, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have won the battle. We have won it. We can go before our Lord Jesus Christ and say to that Gamani influence, whatever it is, in the name of Jesus Christ, you must go, and you must go to him now. And Jesus will fill you with his peace, his love, his truth, his power, every time. So, I'm done. But one thing as I lead you with this, and that is when you get hammered by the devil, when you have had a, such a, a spiritual awakening, if that happens to you, you rejoice and you praise God because God is saying more blessings are coming for you, my brother, my sister in Christ. Be steadfast, be bold, stand firm. For the best is always yet to come. Before, before we hear the last song, I'm going to share this with you. And I found this in my box in the, in the office. It really speaks to, to what God is saying about truth and how Satan gets in there. The, the title of this part is Lost America. If I may just for a moment read this, but listen to this very closely because it really hits on what I'm saying today what's happening in our world. It says, and I quote, take a guess, how many Americans today have a biblical worldview? That is, how many Americans believe the Bible is true, authoritative, and applicable to every area of life? You might guess, or at least 40%, Certainly, at least a quarter of all Americans share a biblical worldview, right? Wrong. The latest Barna study in
And if you do any studies or listen to any uh, that you hear about, Barna is right at the top of the list. They're very credible and they do a fantastic job of doing surveys and trends and so on and so forth. The latest Barna research indicates that out of every 100 Americans, only six embrace a biblical worldview. Yes, 6%. Incredibly, 51% claim that they have a biblical worldview, but when you question their beliefs in detail, you discover the tragic truth. They don't know what a biblical worldview is. For them, reincarnation is possible, and Jesus isn't the only way to salvation. Americans don't know what biblical means anymore. They are deluded. In closing, an astonishing 41% believe that the Bible, the Quran, and the Book of Mormon express the same divine truths. On surveys inquiring about Americans' religious affiliation, there's a fast-growing trend. Today, 22.8% of all Americans answer none. You don't think Satan is alive today? You don't think he's working in people's lives? You don't think that he's working in churches? I think he really spends a lot of time in churches because there's a lot of churches that believe just what I just read. No, they believe that. They're believing the lies. was speaking just now is that in the middle of spiritual warfare whatever it is that you're going through however it is that the enemy seems to be attacking you in whatever way the most important thing is that we continue to 